0: I like to use uh, memory things. And those first four I just realized, or my first two initials, R and S, Randolph Stewart. And then LJ loves Janice, who is my wife. So that's, we got it, right? So now I've got to come up with something for the next four. But uh, that one, that's good. I, I appreciate uh, doing that, learning those uh, names. I never bothered to learn them. And, uh, and Pastor Andy memorizes the scripture. And he's very faithful at memorizing things and doing cool things like that to help us, and uh, I hope we just do these same songs next week, because uh, I, I, am, I am pulling back from what I was going to do, um, and, uh, and I said I was going to focus on one point, and when I said that, I thought it would be like 10 or 15, 20 minutes. Um, I, I wrote down some notes, because uh, it's out of my study, but it wasn't my plan, so, uh, but I got two pages of notes just this morning because uh, we made this decision about quarter to six. So we didn't even get it out on Facebook and all, but some people didn't come anyway. So um, uh, I'm glad you were here. And, it, and if you're watching us and you can't tell, there aren't very many uh, people here. And it reminds me of this really old story. So I'll start with this little kind of jokey story. This is way back before automobiles and you could scrape roads and that kind of stuff. And uh, it was just a severe... Th- snowstorm like this and the faithful sexton got there and opened the door and put on the fire and everything and the pastor made it in and he looked at him and said well it looks like just me and you you want to just go home and the guy said pastor when I go to feed my cows if only one cow shows up I feed him anyway he's all right so he did the whole service now after he said well what'd you think he said well pastor when that one cow comes I feed him but I don't give him the whole load. And so uh, I, I was, I'm not going to give you the whole load today. That'll be next week. But I'm going to pull something out of what we were going to do to talk a little bit really about spiritual warfare. Um, and uh, I think uh, as, a, as the body of Christ, especially in North America, we have become less and less and less aware of the supernatural uh, uh, facts of Christ who we serve and what we believe we've become very practical very what we can see what we can measure um, and and those kind of things and and the Bible is an extremely supernatural book by its very nature it's talking about things that we cannot see and would not know without the revelation of God but at the same time it doesn't make a big deal about some of the details of that supernatural world that we know very little about but what it does tell us can be, I'll even say, scary. Or, uh, but, but it's meant to be a warning and, and a help. We're going to see something in this chapter. I'm going to pull that out. I wasn't going to make that big a deal about it in the bigger sermon. But this is going to give me an opportunity just to talk about it a little bit. I'm going to be sipping this all morning. And, uh, and, and, and it's going to be kind of focused on that. I, I remember as a kid... Um, I, I thought I was a scary type person. Um, and, and maybe I was. I don't know. I guess all kids are scared of something here and there. But um, I lived in a place where we had a pull-down attic. And my parents were the kind where you played with a toy, you put it back when you're done. That was, that was the deal. I, I wish that instead of moving out of the house and throwing all that away, I still had it. Because it's in original boxes and stuff. And I'd have called pickers or somebody would have wanted that because it's still in the box probably. It's probably in, the, in, the, in some landfill still in the original box. But I used to be afraid to go up in that attic to get those toys down. Because that's where we stored them. Didn't have a lot of room downstairs. So if there was some game we wanted to play, pull down the attic stairs, go up and get it. And I was always frightened to go up there. And I could never figure out... Why I was so frightened. And one day, um, I was a teenager really. Uh, I, be, uh, I became aware. We had a, a man come speak to our youth group. And, uh, and he was talking about the reality of that spiritual world. Especially the evil part of it. And I, I don't like to give it too much air. Because uh, people get super curious. And I don't want to give uh, Satan and those in that spiritual world too much credit. But, but I realized that in ignorance... My parents had bought a game, we thought it was just a game and something silly, called a Ouija board. Now, I don't believe necessarily that demons can inhabit inanimate objects, but I firmly believe that they can be attached to objects. And I believe anybody has got a Ouija board's got a demon in their house, okay? That's just, I'll just tell you that straight up. So when I became aware, it just hit me one day, I would... I don't want to say the Lord told me because I didn't hear a voice or anything else. But he made me aware, I would say, that, dude, you got a Ouija board up there. You got to get rid of it. So I went up, got it down, took it outside, couldn't break it. I tried to hit break it with my dad's sledgehammer, couldn't break it. So I threw it in the trash, broke the other stuff that I could break and got rid of it. And guess what? I wasn't scared to go in the attic anymore. I felt that presence. I began to realize that, that I was sensing something there that I should be afraid of. And I want to look here in this passage in Genesis 31. We've been in Genesis. We're going to stay there. I first called this the unstoppable God. And what I'm going to talk about today still fits that theme. And I need to set it up a little bit out of this big chapter. This is a big chapter. It's got a lot of characters in it. Well, not a lot, but several. And every one of them is uh, uh, creating a web of deceit and lies. Laban is. uh, Jacob is his wife Rachel, they are all creating a web of lies and deceit. And there are some good things going on in here, but there's also some bad things. And so let me just set the scene. It comes down to uh, that Jacob understands that Laban, his father-in-law, no longer likes him very much. And we're going to see that Rachel is going to steal her, house, her father's household gods. And that's what I want to talk to you about. But I need to set it up. First of all, Jacob, in verse 1, he overhears Laban's sons talking. And what they say in verse 1 of chapter 31 of Genesis is against Jacob. And it says, Jacob heard sons of Laban. were saying, Jacob has taken all that was our father's and from what was... Out, uh, our father, uh, sorry, and what was our father's? He has gained all his wealth, and so Jacob overhears these boys saying this. Now, this this is some jealous sons, some brothers. They may not have even been born until after Jacob had married Rachel and Leah. We're not sure about. I'm not sure about that, but what they are saying is is true in a sense. Only Jacob didn't steal any of it. Jacob is taking what was Laban's and God is blessing him and multiplying it. He's making Laban wealthy, not himself, even though he makes these deals with Laban. Let me have this for working for you. He earned whatever he got. Jacob earned it, and and you got to see that. And these boys are like, oh, he's stealing it. And and it's the same thing. Jacob, I mean, Laban was not doing so well before Jacob showed up. I mean, he had stuff, but... It wasn't going great, and all of a sudden now it is going great. And what you find in human nature, and it happens all over the place, that the one who cannot perform can become jealous of the one who can perform in the same area or the same place. I had a guy tell me one time, says, I hate the guys who criticize and minimize the other guys whose enterprise had made them rise above the guys who criticize and minimize the other guys. In other words... When you realize that you've been beat, you start criticizing and minimizing those that beat you. Now, that's just a loser's way of doing it. I mean, that's just, that's horrible. You, you just don't do that. You either say, wow, that guy's better than me. You can say, I want to get as good as him, or you might work to improve yourself. But criticizing the other people or being critical of them or lying about it which is what these boys are doing number one Jacob didn't steal anything and Jacob made their dad rich and got rich himself doing it and, and so these boys hear, uh, say that and Jacob hears it and he realizes my days are numbered here Laban's not looking on me with favor anymore um, he's coming after me and we see that in verse 2 and Jacob saw Laban did not regard him with favor as before so Jacob sees this and he realizes this, but verse 3, that unstoppable God comes in and he intervenes and he says, then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your fathers and to your kindred and I will be with you. God is promising to be with him in the midst of all this mess. Listen, if you are in a mess, if you are having trouble, understand the strongest promise in the Bible is, I will never leave you or forsake you. And I say it's the strongest because it has the most modifiers that makes it the strongest promise in the Bible. It has five modifiers saying how dead sure it is, no matter what happens. If you feel abandoned by God, you're not. It's something you can just trust, take to the bank, whether you see it or feel it, in any sort of way. If you belong to God, he is with you all the time. He is working out his will in your life. And so, this living God, this creator God, this protecting God, tells Jacob... Do it's time to get out of town, okay? So that, that is what is going on. So Jacob has a plan, and I'm not going to go in detail, but I, I just want to let you know this so that you can put all this in context, um, and it'll help me next week too. But anyway, he calls in his wives to let them know. He calls in Rachel and Leah, and he says, all right, here's the deal. Here's what I've learned. This is what your dad's done to me. Um, he's been unfair. It's time for us to leave town, and it's kind of unusual really in a sense that Jacob would even tell them uh, what all's in his mind Uh, in that day a man would probably just leave his wife and go we're leaving, pack pack your stuff but instead he lets them in on what's going on and both Rachel and Leah say it is good we're going to go with you Uh, because Jacob's plan is God told me to go and I am going and so Rachel and Leah said "Good, good idea and so look at verse 19, and this is where we see what Rachel does that maybe she shouldn't have done. And down in verse 19, so verse 17, Jacob arose and set his sons his wives on camels. He drove away his livestock. Notice that. He drives away his livestock, all his property that he had gained, the livestock and the possession that he had acquired in Padamaran, to go to the land of Canaan to his father Isaac. But verse 19, Laban had gone to shear his sheep, And Rachel stole her household gods. Now, just remember that. I'm going to say more about it later. But right here we see that she steals the household gods. Now, what are these household gods? And uh, I have looked in many, many places to try to figure this out. And what I'm going to tell you is, however many people talk about it, they have an opinion. But none of them are the same opinion. I mean, it's, it's tons of opinions about it. Um, I don't think any of them is actually wrong. I think there are a lot of things that can be read into this. And we call that reading into the scripture instead of letting the scripture read out. But you have to understand this was written for an audience that knew exactly what that meant. They didn't have to research it to understand it. It was language they understood. And so I want you to see that she did that. And I want to tell you what that God, those kind of gods, that word is a Hebrew word, teraphim. It does not, it appears a little bit in the Old Testament. It's not like once or twice, it's several. But just in this form, it appears very little. And because number one it's called teraphim. And anytime you hear im in Hebrew, I am, that is a plural. It means it's more than two. It's got to be three or more. So he had at least three. We see the same word when David's wife, uh, Michelle or Michael, however you might pronounce it in Hebrew, I don't know. Neither do does anybody. But uh, when David had to run from her father, Saul, she took one of their household gods and put it in the bed and put basically a wig or some fur up there. And when they came to get looking for David, she said, oh, he's asleep in the bed. Now think about how big that idol was. That it was big enough to look like a man in the bed. So here is godly David, a man after God's own heart. His wife still messing around with false gods. We see Rachel stealing her father's gods who are false gods. And basically this word, you've heard of the seraphim, uh, the, you know, the uh, cherubim. These are created beings of God. Uh, we think of them as angels, but angels is an extremely broad term I've learned in doing a little bit of research. And here in this reference, these are fiery gods. Now, I, I, I won't go into a whole lot of detail because I'm not an expert at it. I'm afraid I'll say something wrong. But I want you to understand. Well, I'll come back to that. I'm going to come back to those gods. I just want to see what's happening first. Let me do this overview first. So, uh, Rachel steals these gods. So, the Bible goes on to tell. So, Jacob got everybody together and he sneaks away while, Jacob, while Laban is not there and this is a bit of a deceit he tricked, the Bible says he tricks Laban by taking off without telling him he wants to get far away he gets three days out before Laban even knows he's gone and so he grabs his sons and they start chasing him. it takes them seven days to catch him and so when they catches him he starts giving him what for he, but I want you to look now at verse 30 because there's a detail in there we've got to see and then another detail in a minute and so, just understand, Laban has just been laying Jacob out. Now, Laban is being extremely selfish and self-centered, um, as, as evil people always are. And we get down to verse 30, or 29, it says, "Is in my power uh, to do you harm, but the God of your father spoke to me last night, saying, Be careful not to do anything to Jacob, neither good or bad. And, and we see that earlier in the chapter. God appears to Laban and said, dude, you better calm down. Do not hurt Jacob. And don't do any good to him. I got him. He's mine. But look then at verse uh, 30, uh, uh, 30. And then he says in verse 30, And now you've gone away because you longed greatly for your father's house. But why did you steal my teraphim? Why did you steal my God's? It's as if he's saying, and, and a lot of it is made up or distorted. You took this from me. You stole that from me. Just took my, these are my children. These are my uh, grandchildren. Mine. These sheep are mine. All these people. And he is so being possessive and jealous. And then he says, but dude, why did you take my gods? In other words, that, see, the, the power of the language is all that's bad But this is worse. Laban is more concerned about those gods than he is about his family. Because Laban's more concerned about Laban than he is about anything else. But it points to how important those gods are to Laban. And in verse 31, Jacob responds to that and said, Because I was afraid, because I thought you'd take your daughters away from me by force. I didn't have enough. I don't have enough power to overcome you militarily and I thought you would take my wives and not let me leave uh, which sounds a little wimpy but at least he was honest and then verse 32 anyone with whom you find your God shall not live in the presence of our kinsmen point out what I've done that is yours and take it because Jacob didn't know Rachel took him he said that because he didn't know Rachel took him he wouldn't have said that had he known but notice Jacob's response You can search all my stuff. Anything you find that's yours, you can have it back. See, Jacob didn't steal anything. But Rachel did steal those gods. So, to me, this is setting this up like a Greek tragedy, right? But it's not in Greek. It's in Hebrew. So, it's not a Greek tragedy. Where, uh uh-oh, your daughter's got them, and I'm going to have to put her to death now because I've made this promise. Because, you know, when you read the Old Testament, back then, you said something. That's it. It didn't matter what was going to happen. You had to keep your word and uh, anyhow so we, we see that but Rachel furthers the trick because Laban starts looking for him I mean he is intensely on the hunt and so we get down to about verse uh, 34 uh, well verse 33 so Jacob went to uh, Laban went to Jacob's tent into Leah's tent and into the tent of the two female servants but he didn't find them and he went out from Leah's tent and entered Rachel's now this is where on TV, you go to commercial break because they've just built up the tension. And there, but Rachel had taken the household gods and put them in the camel's saddle and sat on them. I'm going to come back to that because that cracks me up. Uh, and, and, and sat on them. And Laban felt all about the tent but didn't find them. And she said to her father, and she pulls the oldest trick in the book that a woman can pull on a man. Let not my Lord be angry that I cannot rise before you for the way of women is upon me. So he didn't, he didn't search her. Now, this is before the Levitical law. says you can't touch that woman uh, during that time. But because of her dad or whatever, he's like, oh, sorry, sweetie. And he moves on. So she pulls it off. She's hidden the gods underneath her, her garments. And under, Now, my question is, why are the tents set up and she's sitting on a camel? I, I, I don't have an answer to that. That's just a question I'm going to have to ask Rachel when I get to heaven. Rachel, did you just do that to hide the gods? What were, what were you thinking there? But anyway, you had a nice tent you could be in. So then in verse, it goes on, verse 36. Jacob becomes angry and he, he and Laban start really going into it. And all that I'll come to next week and look at it. But I want you to notice something in Jacob's speech here in verse 42. Um, this is... I, I, I like the way things are said. Sometimes words catch my attention. Uh, these songs we sing, I just, I get it. I love the music. I love the beat. But man, sometimes those words are just turned in a way that makes you think. And Jacob pulls off one of those in verse 42. And it kind of points out to where Jacob's real hope is. It says, if the God of my father, the God of Abraham, and the fear of Isaac... Had not been on my side, surely now you would have sent me away empty-handed. God saw my affliction in the layer of my hands and rebuked you last night. Did you catch that phrase? I, I didn't even, I've never even noticed that. The God of my father Abraham and the fear of Isaac. What a title. What an awesome title. The Bible tells in Hebrews it's an awful thing to fall into the hands, a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. This is is something we ought to consider. Because what we are seeing here is a a contrast between this living, all-powerful God and the gods of Laban's household. And and so, I want you to just catch on to what's going on here a little bit. I tell you the word is teraphim. It means fiery God. It's got that word in it. And this is a reference to Satan. And in, in ancient uh, uh, cults and beliefs, because these gods are part of a belief system that goes back before the flood and we still see it happening after the flood. All these religions are the same religion with different names. It comes down to Jesus' time amongst the Greek and the Hebrews and they just keep renaming the gods. It was happening in Egypt even as Jacob is speaking here, they are, served, they are worshiping gods of different things. And where they got the idea of these gods, just so you know, is from the fallen angels. They are the ones in Genesis 6. They saw the women of men and they desired them. These, these beings presented themselves as gods and people began to worship them and convince them that they had some power. You see... Laban's anger was, you did this and that, but then you stole my gods. And Laban, as I said, seems so upset about that. Why? Now Here's where like, people have different ideas about what these gods meant to Laban. And one idea, and it, it's kind of provable that this could be a thing, that they were a sign of the inheritance to the kids. In other words, it's like the last will and testament. So Rachel may have been looking at that going, Man, my dad is going to mess up my husband. And I am the younger daughter. So, you know, us younger siblings, we get it. We're spoiled, right? So she goes in and steals her dad's gods. So that Jacob has the inheritance of her father. Now, he doesn't find them. And as far as I know, the Bible never mentions these things again. But that is a possibility. Rachel's having a pure heart. Let me protect Jacob by getting... The last will and testament, and we've got because possessions nine tenths of the law, right? So Jacob has them. Laban must have meant for him to own all his stuff, and that might have been in her mind. But they were also used. In fact, this word comes down and is a little different form. Remember when God told him to have um ummum and thumbum. Uh, it's always funny words, but it's two colored, different colored rocks, and they would be in the high priest's garment. Moses, God told Moses to make all this, so when they had to make a decision, they would ask God and reach in there and mess around, and pull out one of the and whatever color it was, tell you the answer. It was for divination. It was for knowing what was going on. So another possibility, and something very funny, is that these gods could have told Laban where Jacob was. But they couldn't because they didn't. So we know they couldn't, right? He just happened to get on the trail and find him and and make it there. So they represented that. They also represented protection. They represented their gods. They would protect you. And they also could have represented fertility. Rachel had struggled to have children. At this point, she's only had one. And she wants a lot more. So she took the gods To make sure she was fertile. And this is where we get into ancient pagan religions. um, There's always this woman God with a a child God. Satan knew that it was going to be the seed of the woman. So he helped set this up before Jesus ever came. So it looks like Jesus is just in that same line of these false gods. But we know better because he was a God who put aside deity and became a man. And served us as a man. But that's the idea there. These, these gods, these images, are images of these fallen rebellious angels that set up false gods for people to worship, to keep them away from the one true God. They, they were pre-flood and they are still here post-flood. And they're, like I said, they're all the fertility cults from the beginning of time till now, or till, from the fall until now. But, but I want you to think about these images they can be stolen how powerful are you if you can be kidnapped I mean all of us could be kidnapped none of us I mean there's always somebody bigger stronger than you right but why would you worship something that is not the most powerful and can be stolen In an even funnier point of view these are gods that could be sat upon Wow, I want a God I could. You see, when God gave the Ten Commandments, uh, the Ten Commandments, they were talking to Moses, what did he say? You'll have no other God before me because I'm on the top. Now, you know what that means? And then he says, don't make any images of gods because there are gods. There are other gods. The Bible says you are gods. What does he mean? We are made in the image of God. These angels were created by God. They had power that men don't have or retain some of it. And they presented themselves as gods. And people began to worship them as gods. But these are gods that can't make you afraid. They cannot engender fear in you. That's why I wanted to point out verse 42. Jacob says the fear of Isaac. Your gods are stolen. That's because they don't engender fear. Nobody fears them. That's how weak they are. Now, I want to come into, I've kind of just laid out the scripture, and I I just want to start applying that to us a little bit. Because us preachers, and I'm going to blame us, not you, I blame us. We'll take a passage like this and go, yeah, yeah, you know, these idols, they're just idols made by human hands and all that. But they do represent a reality in the spiritual world for those people at least. That's what they believe whether it's true or not. That's what they believed. And, and that's how they worshipped it. And so as preachers we'll get up and say. though We'll say well you can make a God out of this. Or a God out of that. And we all. And that's true but it's also not true at the same time. Let me say, it's not true because some of the things we make gods out of. We don't think it's connected to something in the spirit world. And these idols were idols connected to something in the spirit world. That these people understood on some level, and still worshiped. And by the way, you can go to even, uh, well, you can find it here in North America. You don't have to leave North America to find it. There are people that do rituals up on, on the top of Afton Mountain, witches and others that believe in that spirit world, and whether you believe in it or not, and they call upon those gods. And, and I, I kind of, these days, want to shy away from being that kind of preacher That says you can make a God out of your credit card. Or out of your boat. Or out of your house. Or out of your wife or family. I've said all that stuff. But on the other hand. We can do that. We do that. Why? Because we make a God out of that which we trust. That which we think will give us power. That which we think will have wealth for somebody to inherit. That they can bless us. They can help us. If we will just simply bow down to them. And that is a bad thing. It's, it's funny that this has come about on Super Bowl Sunday. Because, I, I mean, way back in the day, I'm, I'm 62. I started doing all this when I was 19. So, I'll let you do the math on that. But it's 43 years if you struggle with math like I do. And back in the day, man, Super Bowl Sunday, we did Sunday morning, Sunday night. I never canceled church. People, back when I was starting in the ministry... Churches—you started to hear about churches either canceling church or we do a Super Bowl party. And thanks to Janet Jackson, we don't do that anymore. Um, but do a Super Bowl party and you get somebody come in at halftime and, and, and we'd cut TV off and talk to them about the Lord Jesus Christ and even good Christian people. And, and listen, I, none of this is, is evil in and of itself. And, and, and good Christians said... As we should, we ought to take every advantage. Let's take advantage of that. We'll have a Super Bowl party at church. And at halftime, we'll shut it down so that somebody can present the gospel. And you would invite a bunch of people that didn't know the Lord to the Super Bowl party. And they'd hear about Jesus at halftime. So, that, that's kind of how that worked. But just this week, I saw a news headline. And now, I really wish I'd read the whole article. Where it was a guy talking about the Super Bowl and the media what the media does with the Super Bowl and said, we created this holiday. Now the word holiday means holy day, by the way. And they were bragging that they've turned the Super Bowl into a day off. Now for the Christian, listen, I love football, okay? I just really love it, I like to watch it. I pretty much like to watch a team I'm interested in, but if I'm not interested in them and they're playing football, I don't mind watching it, okay? So I don't care about any of these teams today. I barely remember who they are, but I'm going to watch that game tonight, okay? Because I'm going to be home because it's snowing. So I'm going to watch it. But the fact that a person, not a Christian, said that they've created a holy day out of it, a day where you stop doing everything else just to watch that. A day when churches have let the culture make us have to pet that God before we can worship the true God. is a sad day. And we have to look at that for ourselves. I'm not fussing at this church. We don't do that. We, we try to redeem it when we can. But the question is... We do that with other things as well. And I, I already mentioned those. We can do it we can trust our credit card. We can we can make our family or our possessions or our work or something bigger than God in our life. Some other kind of symbol, some other kind of thing that we exalt above the Lord. When we understand that God is the God of Abraham and the fear of Isaac and the Bible tells in Hebrews a fearful thing to fall in the hands of the living God. We might not get so upset about other things except about pleasing God. We make gods out of our politics because we trust our politics get us out of trouble. Listen, government is no friend of grace to help us to God. Never has been. And yet, sometimes we trust politics. Sometimes we trust people. Sometimes we trust money. So the question becomes then, who do you trust? Do you trust a graven image of a false God, a created being who set himself up as God? Are are you putting a possession or a thing made by men's hands as your God a game? When my wife and I were first married, because um, I do love sports. I like to I enjoy watching them. Obviously, I couldn't play any of them well. And I say, obviously, because you can look at me and tell. But I remember saying, hey, I want to watch this game. And she said, well, I want to do blah, blah, and I don't remember the whole details, but I just remember saying to her, but it's the championship game. And she said, didn't they settle that last year? I have never forgotten her saying that. Because it cracked me up, gave me a whole new perspective. It was like, yeah, big deal. We won this year we got 364 days to celebrate and then we're going to do it again right and we get so caught up with things in the world we think they're going to last forever and we can trust them but the Bible says everything in this world is passing away and the only security we have is in the one true living God who created us then put on an earth suit to come here and die for us so that we could have victory over sin victory over these false gods and that we could walk in fellowship with the true living God as our father and that's where we as believers ought to be and so how can you apply that well I told you this chapter is full of a bunch of liars and deceivers so live honestly (laughs) just just tell the truth be the truth no matter what just say it the way it is secondly deal generously in this chapter, we, we didn't look into that part in detail, but Laban is so selfish. and he, selfish. He's just grabbing for everything. Jacob is producing and Laban's claiming it as, an, as his own. When now he could afford to be generous to the man who had helped him get there. None of us are lone rangers. I love the illustration of the turtle on a fence post. You know what that means, I'm sure. But if you see a turtle on a fence post, you know it didn't get there by itself. It can't do that. And all of us, whatever success is in our life, we are turtles on a fence post. Number one, God put us there. But number two, there have been other people who have been faithful to God that got us here. And we got to remember that. We don't worship that, but we got to remember that, respect that, honor that, and thank God for that. And so when you have a lot in your hand, realize that that is a blessing of God. And deal generously with other people. (laughs) Another wise person, a lady, actually taught high school Bible, um, and I got to hear her, but she said uh, one time, it's not what I would do if millions were my lot, but what am I doing right now with the dollar and quarter I got? It's not whether you can be rich and do something, it's what are you doing with what God's given you? And then lastly, it's obvious, but I'm going to say it to put it in our minds, fear only God fear only the God that's revealed in this scripture what would it be like if all of us lived honestly dealt generously and feared our God I don't mean be afraid of him I mean fear him to the point of everything else as the hymn writer said grows strangely dim when I'm looking at Jesus the bright light of who Jesus is makes all the world dark and dim to us And these false gods are not gods. They can be stolen. They can be carved. They can be sat upon. And they mean nothing. But the true living God all through this chapter is talking to Jacob. He's talking to Laban. And he's working the circumstances out for a godly end so Israel could survive. So that fourth child we mentioned today, remembering Judah, would be the father of a family line that would bring us to the Messiah, to Jesus that you and I could be saved. God is at work all the time. We ought to fear him. Would you pray with me? Lord, it would be glorious if all of us literally had a a biblical fear of you. Not that we're afraid you're going to get us and that kind of fear. But just realizing what an awful God you are. How much power you have because you have all the power. You have all the authority. You're in charge of everything. You created a universe we can't even comprehend yet. And yet it was created by you in a moment at a spoken word. And it was just there. It wasn't there and then it was there. And you said we get to call you Father. We get to come into your throne room and say, Father, here are our needs. Here are the concerns of our life. And you hear us and you save us and protect us. Jacob is afraid and running, he thinks, for his life. And you go and visit his enemy in a dream and say, you better not mess with him because he belongs to me. Lord, we thank you that we belong to you. Doesn't mean we won't suffer. Doesn't mean um, you won't allow the enemy to destroy us. But if you do, it is only for your glory. It's only for your good. It's for our good because once we leave here we're coming to be with you and that's going to be awesome we don't even have to to worry about that part but Lord your will will be done in our life and your presence will be with us every step of the way these gods can be shifted and moved around and they've got to be carried around with people it seems Lord we have talismans people wear saints necklaces thinking that's going to protect them give them power we bow down to graven images of our own making and of satan's making but lord you are the one true living god a god that cannot be seen by the human eye and so lord jesus you put on flesh and dwelt among us so that we could behold the glory of god and then you lived that perfect life and died in our place lord thank you for that thank you for all that you've given us all the abundance of our life is because of you and everything that we have was won for us by Jesus on the cross and then being buried and then rising from the dead after three days. So in him, it's a yes. All your promises are a yes. And we claim them. And so Lord, help us to walk in you. Fear no man, fear only God. In Jesus' name, amen.